On behalf of Pastor Mark Driscoll, we want to thank you for allowing us to bring you Jesus-centered Bible teaching. Like Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus. To get all of Pastor Mark's sermons, blogs, books, and other content, please visit us at markdriscoll.org. There you can also sign up to receive additional free content from Pastor Mark and support this ministry with a gift of any amount. Thank you. It's really a great honor to be with you guys. My uh, wife and our five kids are here. We uh, moved to uh, Phoenix in July and everyone asks, was it hot? Uh, No, a pizza oven is hot and Phoenix in July is very hot. And so uh, we're really enjoying the winter. And as soon as we got here, started meeting with pastors around the valley. And one of the most extraordinary things I've seen in all the places that I've been is the love, the fellowship, the, the mutual concern and goodwill between pastors and churches across the entire valley. And so um, it has been a great honor and a joy to get to know some of the pastors here. And, and actually first found out about your church driving up the I-17. You guys got the big billboard and you got the truck out front uh, that says uh, that you're buying the property and moving there. And literally first time I drove by, it was a few months ago. I can honestly say I pulled over, I raised a hand because I'm that charismatic and prayed uh, for that piece of property and prayed for your church and didn't know what God was doing there, but just felt Wow, what an extraordinary place for a church with all of the cars driving by and the valley really growing up toward the Northwest and uh, all the way from Anthem, all the way down into Glendale and over to Peoria and Happy Valley and Deer Valley and all the people that Jesus loves there and what a wonderful opportunity there was for that church. And then got a call from your pastor and uh, he was kind enough to give me a tour of the property that you all have purchased. And there's a lot of work to be done. So we're all praying for you and... uh, and would encourage you to be serving and loving your church faithfully. But there is a huge opportunity. I think Pastor, you said you've got nine acres there and more that are possible as well. And uh, he had me in his rig driving around the property. And he looked at me at one point, he said, what do you think is gonna happen? I said, I think this could be amazing. I've seen uh, hundreds of church plants in my life. And I think this is one of the biggest opportunities I've ever seen. And he looked at me with tears and eyes and he smiled. I wish you could have seen Pastor's face. He said, really? I said, yeah. He loves you very, very much. And every time I have an honor of coming to uh, be with God's people, I always wanna honor the father that, uh, that started the family. And so it's a great honor to give your pastor a break this week and you can go ahead and honor him. And they have their uh, 13th wedding anniversary this week. Uh, so, uh, so he got a little bit of time off. So it's a great honor to be with you. Uh, I love your pastor. I love your church. I love the opportunity that God has given you. And I'm really excited about the future that he has for you. And as just a few year old church, I really, really, really believe God has an extraordinary future for you. And it's a real joy and honor to be with you today. So thanks for making that possible. I'm gonna pray and uh, we'll do some work in the Bible if that's all right. Uh, Father God, I, uh, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have uh, right on the threshold of a new year uh, to get back to an eternal book that has something fresh to say each and every year. Uh, Lord, as we uh, study the scriptures today, I pray for those who would come with anxieties, with concerns, with, con- with fears, with burdens, with uh, a year behind them that perhaps was difficult or a year ahead of them that has its trials and challenges for which they are concerned. I pray against the enemy of servants, their works and effects. I pray for your grace on our time together. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to illuminate the scriptures which you've inspired to be written so that we might love, know, follow, obey, and become like Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we'll get there eventually. Today, we're in my wife's life verse. It's in Philippians chapter four. Uh, It is her life verse, and it was the favorite verse of the Bible that she told me about when I first met her. I have taught it many times and lived it a few. Uh, I still have a lot of more work to do in my life to personally apply this. And uh, I'll start by saying that for those of you who know the storyline of the Bible, there are two little words that God uses to describe the condition of the world when he was done with creation. He looked at everything and said it was very good. That's how the world was. That's how the world was supposed to be. There was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no suffering, there was no disease, there was no destruction, there was no death. There were no need for such things as 
police departments and wars and soldiers and attorneys and locks on our homes and locks on our cars and alarms at our residence and insurance for tragedy and devastation. There wasn't a need for an ambulance to take us to a place called a hospital. All of that is the result of sin infecting and affecting everyone and everything in the world. And not to say that any of those things are bad, but they're only necessary when sin enters the world. And sin enters the world through our folly. We rebel against God. We defy God. We walk away from God. And the result is that death ensues and chaos comes and pain becomes part of the human condition. And and this is not the world as God made it. And this is not the world as God will remake it. This is the world as we have infected and affected it. And it infects and affects each of us very personally, very practically, very painfully, and very frequently. The result is stress, anxiety, fear, frustration, pain, and burden. My assumption and presumption today is that looking back on the past year, there were some difficult things that you had to endure. And looking on the threshold of this next year, there are more that are awaiting you. And there are many categorically, relationally, don't raise your hand, especially if you're here with family. But how many of you, the holidays were painful because you got to, had to see your family? right? The, the, the holidays can be a difficult time. You're like, there's a reason we moved to Arizona. You're not there. And then we got to go back and see you. And that was a little complicated. <laughs> there's relational pain and frustration. There is financial. Some of you right now, either personally or vocationally, you're looking financially at, at a great need. You're, you're in a place of lack and want and pain and trouble and trial. For some of you, it's physical. You're you're not healthy, you're not well, you woke up this morning not feeling as you ought. Perhaps you've even gotten a diagnosis of some condition, something you're struggling with or something that is besetting you. And you add to it all of the environmental. Now we have technology, which means that our lifestyle is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That just prolongs the opportunity for pain and suffering and misery and tragedy and difficulty and strife. Add to it the pain of social media and all of a sudden we have more information than at any point in the history of the world, but true or false, it's pretty much all bad news. It used to be, well, I'm not gonna watch the news tonight because I don't wanna get any bad news. Now, Christianity is all about good news and the world is filled with bad news. And now through smartphones and technology and the internet and and the 24-hour lifestyle that's afforded to us, by things uh, such as electricity, next thing you know, we're getting bad news and work and responsibility and conflict 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And some of you are getting bad news on your phone, put it down, go to sleep, wake up in the middle of the night, look at your phone again, more bad news, put it down, not sleep very much, get up in the morning, look at it again and start your day with the list of bad news, things you need to go take care of. And this just leads to a taxing, overwhelming burden condition that starts to manifest itself physically. And the way God designed the human body is that our body starts to give us some clues, some indications that that things are not particularly well in our soul. And so uh, I would ask you a few questions. Um, What are you anxious about? What are you anxious about? What keeps you up at night? What wakes you up in the middle of the night? What's the first thing on your mind in the morning? And what signs is your body giving you? Uh, I'll give you a a list. Um, Unusual mood swings. Some of you, you get weepy and depressed. Some of you get angry. Some of you get both in the same car ride, okay? Uh, Sometimes you just get exhausted. Just the emotional life energy starts to dissipate. Um, Nervous eye twitch, I'll be honest. There have been seasons in my life where I've had profound struggles with anxiety. Twice I've had uh, intestinal ulcers. Um, I've had various health-related complications from stress and from anxiety. At one point, I had a nervous eye twitch. Literally, people are like, why is my pastor hitting on me, right? He's, he's, he's not, he's stressed out. And so he's, he's got a nervous eye twitch, you know? Um, I had a nervous eye twitch for weeks and, and, and I just was winking at everyone and I had to explain like, it's nothing, I'm gonna go home now. Cause obviously I'm not doing well. 
some of you, you get canker sores. Some of you, you gain weight. Some of you, you lose weight. Some of you are like, I lost, I lost 50 pounds. You're like, I found it, you know? And, uh, and, and your body starts to give you clues and indications. Moments of panic, feeling overwhelmed, hand trembling, anxiety attacks, panic attacks, escalates to um, high blood pressure, insomnia, trouble falling asleep. And, and pretty soon you start fantasizing about dying. Or if you're a Christian, you start studying the rapture. Either way, <laughs> the point is, can I leave yet? Are we done? Can I go home? Um, other indications, general irritability, reckless driving. You teenage guys, remember that, right? Like reckless, aggressive, competitive driving sometimes is a sign of anxiety and stress that has got you in a fight or flight mode. A victim mentality, um, everybody's against me, the whole world is against me, everyone's conspiring against me, Satan and demons have just got me. Um, Health-related issues, irritable bowel syndrome, headaches, heart trouble, chronic sickness, stomach problems, ulcers. Some of you, it's spending sprees. You just start spending money to feel better. Some of you self-medicate with alcohol, with caffeine. You see like four-year-olds walking around now with monster energy drinks and failed parents. It's a sad situation. It's a world that we live in where the stress, the anxiety, the fear, the pressure, the burden, the responsibility, the degree of being overwhelmed has really got people in a bad place to where the number one category of prescription medication is antidepressants. Okay, so all of that to say we're not doing well, amen? Everything I just told you, you can learn from what's called general revelation. You don't even need to be a Christian to know this. This is what your doctor could tell you. This is what your counselor could tell you. This is what someone who just observes human behavior, who's not even a Christian and doesn't know Jesus and doesn't think biblically and doesn't have the person, the presence and the power and the Holy Spirit in their life can tell you. And oftentimes we can come to these understandings of the problem, but then the question is, what is the solution? And let me tell you, there's really three solutions and we're gonna go down the, the trail of, of, of what God has to say in Philippians 4 in just a moment. The first is some will say, okay, I just accept the posture of a loser. Some of you are there. Like, I, that's it. I'm gonna lose at work. I'm gonna lose at home. I'm gonna lose with my health. I'm gonna lose with my, fi- I, I just, I've tried and I lose. And I've just, I've resigned myself to the fact that that's it. I lose, I surrender, I give up, I give in. When this happens, people transition from, from solitude to, to isolation. There's a big difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude is where you go to spend time with the Lord to get refreshed and encouraged. Isolation is where you withdraw from relationships and life and even life in relationship with the Lord because you've quit, you've given up, you've given in. Solitude is something that Jesus did frequently. It says that he often withdrew to lonely places to be alone with the Father. That's what the Bible says. Isolation is when you've cut off the people that love you, you cut off the people that are in relationship with you and you've isolated yourself. People who have accepted that they have lost and they take that posture and tenor and identity of loser, they're they're no longer practicing solitude to get re-strengthened in the Lord. They're practicing isolation, which is to their destruction. The second is you take on a winner mentality and you start preaching to yourself sort of pithy self-help, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I I had a guy recently say, well, for every setback, there's a comeback. Nah, I don't believe that, right? I don't believe that. But it is this sort of, um, you know, everything is going to be good. When God closes a, door, he opens a window. God God has something better for you. Not necessarily. There's no promise. There's no guarantee of that. And what this causes you to be then is your own savior. What you need to do is you need to speak blessing and life over yourself. You need to speak energy and, and hope over yourself. And then you need to change your life. And what you need to do is you need to save yourself. And it is a form of salvation, but it's self-salvation. And we'll even use words like self-esteem and, and self-help, which is really self, self-savior. Well, I don't want you to be a loser who just isolates. And I don't want you just to be a person who is trying to be a winner and save yourself. I want you to be a worshiper. 
And what a worshiper does, they take their burdens, their anxieties, their fears to the one place that those who don't know the Lord can't go, and that's to the Lord. And so everything that we've just studied, we can get from general revelation, from common grace. Even non-Christians say, yeah, I understand this. I experienced this. I observe this. That's the problem. We'll go to God's word for the solution. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to see that, that your deepest need and longing is not to win, not to get more money, not to get healthy, but to learn how to take all your burdens and bring them to the Lord for help. So we're gonna be in Philippians chapter four. My wife's Life verse that I'm not very good at, but by God's grace, I'll continue to grow in. Chapter four, verse four through verse seven. I'll read it and then we'll unpack it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. There's our word, right? About anything. Oh, you thought you had something. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Seven things. Number one, bird dog for the good. How many of you are hunters? I know your pastor is. What's a good bird dog do? They're keenly focused on observing the horizon and looking for any evidence of a bird. God's people are supposed to be bird dogs for the good. When, when pain, when misery, when strife, when anxiety, when complexity comes upon us, he's saying right here, rejoice in the Lord always. And it is this issue of bird dogging and say, okay, God, where are you? Where, where is the good? Where are you at work? What do I see you are doing? I talked to a woman recently and uh, about a year ago, her husband divorced her. And I talked to her, I called her on the day of her one year anniversary of the divorce. And she said, that was the day of my destruction. I said, no, that was the day of your deliverance. She said, well, my marriage ended. I said, your marriage to a horrible man who was duplicitous and living a double lifestyle and, and doing things that ought not to be done. He left you. You need to see the good in that. That man was exposed. What he had been doing for years, you did not know. As soon as you discovered what he was doing, he fled because he didn't want to change. Now, you could look and say, my marriage is over and I'm destroyed. Or you could look and say, God revealed to me the truth and delivered me from a horrific condition. I'm not saying that that makes it any easier. I'm not saying that makes it any less painful. But if I told you who this man was and what he had done, she was in grave and sincere danger and the Lord delivered her. Bird dog for the good. Where is God? Where is God at work? What is God saying? What is God doing? How is God invested? How is God involved? So when he says rejoice in the Lord, when? Always. This is not just naivety. This is not positive self-help and self-talk. This is not naively just believing that the world is actually still very good because it's not. Things have gone very wrong and things are very bad. But it's saying that God is still very good and God is still at work. And there is always something to rejoice in if we're bird dogging to see the evidence of God's work in that circumstance. And it doesn't mean, here's what I tell you. It doesn't mean that everything changes, but it be, means that you're in the process of changing. As you see that the Lord is at work, it gives you hope that he'll continue to work. As you see the Lord invested and involved, it gives you confidence that he's not abandoned or forsaken you. So number one, bird dog for the good. Um, number two, uh, keep your hand on the rudder. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What happens when you're anxious? What happens when you're stressed? What happens when you're overwhelmed? What happens when you're exhausted? What happens when you're devastated is that your emotions start driving all of your decision-making. Okay? Um, I use the analogy that your emotions are like a sail and your mind is like a rudder and you need both. Some of you, you're really good at the rudder, but there's no sail. There's no passion. There's no enthusiasm. There's no energy. There's no impetus. Some of you, it's all sail, no rudder. You're, you're very passionate, but 
you're not under control and, and you are like a butterfly just blown in the wind from direction to direction. Good news, I'm happy. Bad news, I'm sad. Someone likes me, I'm confident. Someone discourages me, I'm devastated. You're, you're very unstable. What he's saying in this is let your reasonableness, this is a level-headedness. This is keeping your, your heart as your sail and your emotions and your passions full and free, but then keeping your hand on the rudder, that's your reasonableness. This is to direct all of your emotional strength and energy towards some outcome. And some people just say, but I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm very emotional. And we'll even blame it on our, our race, amen? Well, of course I'm loud and I yell, we're Italian, we're Irish, we're Latino, we're breathing. You know, our people, we're just very loud and passionate and yell and freak out a lot. And that's our spiritual gift. You know, that's what we bring. How many of you, okay, let's just do this. How many of you are more sale people? You're big on emotion and passion, okay? How many of you married someone who's a rudder and drives you crazy, okay? God does this because he loves you both and he thinks it's funny to watch. So what happens is he puts you together and one of you is the big passionate and then the other is the small directive and, and you work together. And this is where God brings friends and counselors and parents and spouses into our life to help lead us and love us and direct us and correct us. But when he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, what he's saying is keep your hand on the rudder. Just because you're emotional, just because you're under pressure, just because it's intense, just because you're distressed, just because you're anxious, doesn't mean now's the time to make a foolish emotional decision. Number three, um, consider anxiety an enemy. Chapter four, verse six, do not be anxious about. Okay, let me say this. Every one of us is mature and immature. It just depends on what area of our life we're talking about. You can't say I'm mature. Truth is there's somewhere in your life that you're immature. And that area of immaturity is where we find our anxiety. Some of you can trust the Lord with certain things, not other things. Some of you are like, I trust the Lord to save my kids. I don't know if he's gonna pay the bills. Your anxiety comes in a particular area, okay? When he says, don't be anxious about anything, what he's talking about is uncovering and discovering those areas where you're like, that's where I get most stressed about. And I would ask you, ask God, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where is my area of anxiety? Is it relationships? Is it finances? Is it the salvation of my children? Is it my future? Is it my marriage? Where is the place of greatest anxiety for me? That may be a place that I'm, I'm less mature than I am in other areas of my life. That there are areas of my life that I'm able to trust the Lord. There are other areas of my life that I really struggle to trust the Lord. He says, don't be anxious about what? Anything. Here's what he doesn't say. There's nothing to be anxious about. Okay, because here's what some of you do. Some of you, you get anxious. Somebody comes along and they say, oh, there's nothing to be anxious about. And you say, yes, there is. And I will now present my legal case. And in your mind, you have built a legal brief that completely defends your anxiety. Well, of course I'm anxious. Well, you, terrorism, the economy, look who's running for president. Uh, I'm anxious, you know, I'm worried. It's interesting, even since I arrived in Phoenix, everybody talks about the, the crash of 07 and the crash of 08. It's got everybody, even, even years later, anxious. Like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, there, there's an anxiety that sometimes comes from pain or from loss or from a downturn or a, a tragic occurrence. What he doesn't say is there's nothing to worry about. There is. Anyone who says there's nothing to worry about isn't paying attention, okay? They're just not paying attention. There's a lot to be worried about. But he says, don't be anxious about anything. What he doesn't say is, don't concern yourself with anything. Don't make plans for anything. Don't be responsible for anything. Uh, don't, don't try and anticipate anything. That's not what he says. And he doesn't say, oh, there's no problem. There's no need. There's no risk. There, there's no threat. There's no danger. All will be, doesn't say that. So just don't be anxious about anything. And let me say this, 
there's two ways to hear this, a command or an invitation. Okay? Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a Bible teacher. I love God's word. I know that the Bible uses the word command a lot and God gives commands because God's in authority and he doesn't give suggestions, he gives orders. But how many of you are parents with little kids? When your child is anxious, when your child is scared, when your child is nervous, when, you're, when your child is worried, when your child is emotionally troubled, do you give them a command or an invitation? An invitation. God is a loving father. I want you to receive this as an invitation. Because let's say, for example, one of my kids, I got five kids and most are older now, but let's say when the kids were younger, one of my kids has a, a night terror, has a bad dream, gets scared. Your kids ever had that? You're a parent and you hear this scream in the middle of the night and you wake up and you look at your wife and say, go figure that out. And so, <laughs> have you done that? Now, <laughs> oh, it's just us, okay. Um, so what happens is you walk into the room and there's the child just gripped by anxiety. In their mind, there, there's something that is going to bring them harm. Now, do you look at the child and just quote Philippians 4 like this? Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> True or false, probably not helpful. You can say it's a verse, right? It is, but probably not the best delivery, amen? I told you, don't go back to sleep. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, great, thanks. Big help, dad. I was anxious about, um, you know, zombies in the closet. And now I'm also anxious because you're my father. So now I'm double anxious. Zombies and zombie dads. I'm freaked out about both. Not helpful, dad. What a good parent does, they don't command, they invite. What a good parent does, they walk in, they sit down on the bed with a child, scoop them up, kiss them, love them, pray for them, hug them, affection. They don't say, don't be anxious about anything. No, it's a command. It's an invitation. Hey, don't, don't be anxious about anything. Do you see the difference? If you don't understand the father heart of God, every invitation will sound like a command. And the result will be, God is inviting you to himself and it sounds like he is yelling at you. So you'll run from him. I need you to know that, the, that God's heart is a father's heart. And when you're anxious, you're still his kid. You're still his son. You're still his daughter. You may be 40, 50, 60 years old, but to an eternal God, you're just a little kid. And when you get anxious and when you get worried and when you get stressed and distressed and depressed, the father isn't yelling commands at you from a distance. He's whispering an invitation to you as he holds you. Do you get that? This is where anxiety should cause us to accept the Father's invitation. Right, don't, don't be anxious about anything. Well, Dad, do you know what's going to happen? Look, don't be anxious about anything. This is where your dad looks you in the eye and I, I've done this with my kids. I'll say, okay, look me in the eye, look me in the eye, look me in the eye. My kids are right here in the second row. Look me in the eye. Who am I? You're my dad. Do I lie to you? No. Am I going to help you? Yeah. Okay. Don't freak out. We're going to get through this together. Are you sure? I'm sure. That's why I'm here. I'm sorry you're anxious, but don't be anxious about anything. Do you get that? Some of you have spent a lifetime running from God and rebelling against God because all you hear is commands and what you should be hearing is invitations. Hear it this way. The father looks at you with love in his eyes, right? And he opens his hands and he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. And instead, he tells us to, to take that emotional energy and to redirect it. Don't be anxious about anything, but number four, in 
everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So what you do is you replace worrying with praying. When the father looks at you and he says, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, dad, then I need to talk to you about this because this has really got me anxious. Okay, good, let's talk about that. This is the father's invitation to conversation. That's what prayer is. It's the father's invitation to conversation. And, and, and here's the point. As you talk about your fears, they lose their power. Because now the fears that are in your heart are being brought to your father and he's helping you to understand and interpret and to process them. How many of you do this with your kids? First day of school, they're freaked out. You talk them through it. First day of Little League, they're freaked out. You talk them through it. They're gonna have to go do something or take a test or head off to college or whatever the case may be. And they're anxious about it and you talk them through it. All right, tell me what you're afraid of. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're feeling. Let me help you process that. Let's work it out together. Don't be anxious about anything. Talk to me about everything. Your parents do this, right? God's a father. And, and let me say this. Okay, this will be controversial. When I first became a Christian at the age of 19, I struggled with prayer because I thought, well, why do I tell him things? He already knows it all. It's not like God's in heaven going, thanks, I had no idea. I appreciate you letting me know the things I didn't know. So I thought, why tell God anything if he already knows everything? And then I thought, well, why tell God to do anything if God's sovereign and God's gonna do what God wants to do? Hey, God, could you do this? He's like, I'm gonna do whatever I want. I'm like, well, I don't know why I'm wasting our time. Let me say this. Most of the time, prayer is not for God, it's for us. It's not to move God, it's to move us. It's not to change God, it's to change us. Prayer is not something that God needs. Prayer is something that we need. And prayer is where we bring, in this occasion, our anxieties to our Father and we talk about them and he uses that conversation to shape and to instruct and to change us. Prayer is not where we tell him something he doesn't know, it's where he tells us something we don't know. It's not where we change him, it's where he changes us. It's not where we make him do something, it's where he helps us do something. You get that? I wrote down some benefits of prayer and I'll hit them really quickly, especially when you're under anxiety. Um, I'll give you a few. It unburdens you. When you have anxiety, when you have stress, you have pressure, you have responsibility, Prayer is where you transfer that burden to the Lord. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden and I'll give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not very good at this. I tend to carry a lot of burden. Some of you are like me, you're hyper responsible people. You even start taking responsibility for people and they're supposed to be carrying that responsibility for themselves. And a friend of mine, he, he, said, uh, he said, I don't think you pray very well. I just think you complain a lot to the Lord. Well, thank you, Barnabas, for that encouraging insight. Um, I said, explain that. He said, he said, until the burden is transferred from you to the Lord, it's not praying, it's just complaining. Oh, bullseye, that, that, that would be me. Sometimes it feels like I'm praying to the Lord, but I'm really just complaining to the Lord because I haven't taken the burden of that anxiety and transferred it to the Lord. Prayer is where we transfer the burden from us to the Lord. I'll give you another benefit of prayer under anxiety. It's a lightning rod. I remember when I was a little boy, I was in Grand Forks, North Dakota. I was born in Grand Forks, North Dakota. As soon as my parents could afford a full tank of gas, we left Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, but I was in Grand Forks, North Dakota. I was out on the old family farm and I remember I was a little boy and lightning and thunder came up and just exploded. And you could see the lightning just crashing down to the ground and lighting up the sky and you know just the flat plains. And I remember being very, very scared as a little kid because I never seen anything like that. And so my grandma told me, she said, it's okay, it's okay. Um, we have lightning rods. What's a lightning rod do? It takes all the energy and it captures it and it grounds it out so that nobody gets hurt. Prayer is a lightning rod for the believer. 
You take all of your anxiety, all your fear, all of your frustration, all of your emotion, all of your concern, and you bring it to the Lord and he's your lightning rod and he grounds it out so that nobody gets hurt. If you start making people your lightning rod, you'll, you'll set them on fire. You'll blow them up. Ever done that? Okay. They can't handle that much intensity all at once. You're a little much, or at least I am. And the Lord can handle it. So he's a good lightning rod. And when there's anxiety, you bring that, in, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, bring that thing to God and let him be the lightning rod. A couple other things that prayer does, particularly in the midst of anxiety, it helps us to verbal process. How many of you are verbal processors? I think out loud, which gets me in trouble and provided a career. So... It's sort of a 50-50. Um, I think out loud, which sometimes is good and sometimes is bad. Sometimes you're like, that was great. And the other one's like, oh, oh, could we edit that, please? Some of you like me, you're verbal processors and prayer is where we verbally process with the Lord. So don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, go talk to the Lord about it. Okay, Lord, I need to talk about this. And, and this can be verbal prayer, this can be God knows your heart and your mind. This can be journaling. These are various ways of bringing that cause for anxiety, whatever it is you're struggling and suffering with, to the Lord. I'll give you a couple of more benefits. It prevents gossip. How many of you, when you're anxious, when you're frustrated, when you're overwhelmed, when you're emotional, you're freaked out, you have to start talking about it. And all of a sudden now you're talking about people and circumstances and things and you're inviting others in and some of you send off emails, you're like, I'm gonna tell everybody what they did and said, send. And then the Holy Spirit always shows up five minutes later and it's like, what were you thinking? Like, I shouldn't have done that. Or you posted it on social media and then others are commenting and all of a sudden you've created a bit of a brush fire and you've gotten other people involved and now gossip is just running rampant and you're letting everybody else in on private business. Prayer helps prevent that. I mean, for the believer, there should be an app for all of our social media that requires that we go pray and fast for 24 hours before we say anything about anyone else, okay? And, and prayer helps prevent gossiping. You're like, but I need to talk about this or I need to talk about them or I need to talk about what they've done or failed to do or how I feel. And the Lord's like, well, come talk to me. But, 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 but don't just start unloading on whoever happens to be in front of you or whatever technology makes available to you. A couple other benefits of prayer. Um, it builds intimacy with God. How many of you are parents and when your child comes up to you and says, I need to talk to you about something. I'm really struggling with this and I need help. It builds the intimacy okay, what can I do? Let's, let's, let's work this through. When you're anxious, when you're frustrated, when you're overwhelmed, when you're emotional, and I know we're on the threshold of a new year and some of you have some responsibilities that God has set before you this year and you're a little overwhelmed by. It's inviting God in. It's saying, Father, okay, I, I, I really need to talk to you about this and I need help with this because I'm, I'm actually concerned about this. I'm stressed about this. I'm worried about this. I'm, I'm unsure of how to respond to this or what to do with this. It builds the intimacy. Just like a child inviting a parent in, so the children of God invite the father in. Number, uh, number five, um, in prayer then, tell God what you want. Some of you have been a Christian a long time and you don't even understand this. This could be life-changing for you. What does it say? Chapter four, verse five, um, verse six. Let what? Your requests be known to God. Huh. Your requests. Some of you have been told, and I'll do some corrective theology. You need to do what God wants you to do. You're like, okay, you're, you're the firstborn, obedient, compliant, spiritual child, okay? Yes, Lord, what do you want? And God doesn't tell you. You're like, just tell me what you want me to do, Lord, and I'll do it. And it's, it's just silence on the line. 
well, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you're paralyzed. Do I take that job, not take that job? Do I go to that college? Do I not go to that college? Do I serve in that ministry? Do I not serve in that ministry? Lord, just, I'll do whatever you want. Just, why won't you talk to me? Why are you, and here's what God's saying. What do you want? What, what do you want? Make your request known to God. There's an occasion in the gospels where Jesus turns and looks at a guy and he asks this question. I bet you, the, I hope, you know, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do? Um, you're the Lord, aren't you? Aren't you supposed to figure that out? Like, if Jesus looked at you and said, what do you want me to do? Would you be able to tell him? Okay, let me, let me, let me be careful here. This is the perfect revealed word of God. Everything in here is what God instructs us to do, okay? And what's not clearly expressly stated in God's word is often uh, principally addressed through principles in God's word, wisdom that helps us make decisions. But let's say that you have a decision to make and you're anxious about it and you don't know what you're supposed to do. You go to God's word. If there's not anything expressly clear on that issue, then you work from wisdom in God's word and general principles. You seek wise counsel, you pray, you invite the Holy Spirit, you do your homework, you do your research, you seek the Lord. Lord, give me a burden, give me a clear word, give me wise counsel, give me direction. What do you want me to do? And nothing comes. Maybe God is waiting for you to tell him what you want. Do you believe that? Again, God is a father. How many of you, your kids come up to you and they ask for things? Any of you ever experienced this? Okay. I always like to say that there are red light dads and green light dads. Red light dads, the answer is no, which is why you go ask mom. And that's where problems come in homes. Usually you get a green light parent and a red light parent and all the kids are very quick. Uh, do not go to the red light parent, start with a green light parent. Uh, it's Tuesday night, can I drink Mountain Dew at 3 a.m. and light off fireworks? Don't go to red light mom, go to green light dad, your odds are better. And this is where kids learn to play parents against each other because there's a green light parent and a red light parent. Let me say this, I think God is a green light dad to those who love and honor him. If you love him and honor him, then what you will ask him are things that he is willing and inclined to say yes to. My kids, whom I love with my whole heart, they know that there is a list of things they could walk up to me at any point and ask and the answer is yes. Can we go to the park? Yes. Can we go through the bar? Yes. Can I go for a bike ride? Yes. Can we go get ice cream? Yes. Yes. The answer, there's a lot of yes. There's a lot of yes. So long as what they're asking is not sinful, if it's something that they have a desire for, my inclination as a green light father is to say yes, as long as it's not sinful or harmful to them or someone else. God is a father. And if you love and honor him, he tends to be, a green light dad. Father, can I go work this job? Yeah. Father, can I marry this person? Well, in the Bible, yeah. I mean, you're a believer, they're a believer. You talk to the pastor, you work through your issues, you got permission, the parents are, yeah, yeah, yeah. Father, can I go serve in this mission trip? Yeah, yeah, if that's what you wanna do. Father, can I get this degree? Yeah, yeah. Father, can I serve in that? Well, yeah, yeah, that's all. That's good, that's a good, yeah, God bless you, you know? Go do that. Make whose request known to God? Yours. Here's my question to you. What do you want? What do you want this year? Well, go ask your dad. Go ask your dad. And some of you are very anxious. You're like, I'm so worried, I'm so stressed, I'm so overwhelmed, this is what I want. I don't know if it's gonna happen. Well, go ask your dad. And, and, and God answers prayers one of three ways. Yes, 
No, later. Just like every parent, kid comes up. Yes, no, later. Can I drive? You're four, later. <laughs> You're 22 with a license, you wanna borrow my keys? Yes. You know? You're an irresponsible kid who keeps wrecking my car? No, no. God answers prayers, yes, no, and later, just like a parent answers requests from a child, yes, no, and later. But if you have a desire and that desire is not ungodly or in violation of biblical teaching, then you need to make your requests known to God. This is where the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I believe he both gives you the burden for that desire and the fulfillment of that desire. Some of you struggle because you have a desire for something and you're not sure what God's desire is and you're waiting for God to tell you what his desire is, but he's waiting for you to tell him what your desire is. So if you're anxious about something, if you're worried about something, if you're concerned about something, go ask your dad. And if he's a green light dad, shockingly enough, the answer might be yes, provided it's not sinful and in violation to his word and it's out of love and honor for him. Does that make sense? How many of you parents, when your kid honors and loves you and they come and ask you for something, you're really glad to say yes. God's a father like that. God's a father like that. Last Few. Number six, enjoy God's presence. He says in chapter four, verse five, and I wanna revisit this, the Lord is where? At hand, he's near. The answer to anxiety is the presence of God. Do you get that? What it doesn't say is, and God will make it all better. Doesn't say that. But God will never leave you. God will never forsake you that God will always be with you, that the Lord is at hand, that, that God is near. He's not far, far away. He's, he's this close. Whatever you face, you can be okay if God is with you. So when you have anxiety about something that is before you, remember that God goes with you. Do you get that? Um, I, I've used an analogy many times and if you've heard me teach, I apologize, I'm running out of illustrations. But um, of all the commands in the Bible, the number one command that's stated more than any other, invitation, you could use that word as well, is what? Fear not. Roughly 150 times, God in the Bible says to a person or to a group of people, fear not. And I see it as an invitation, fear not, don't be afraid. And I've looked up every single one because I'm a nerd with free time. And almost every single time in the same orbit where God says, fear not, in some form or fashion, he also says, for I am with you. Uh, some years ago, we were going to uh, Scotland, I'm Irish and Scottish and French and Cherokee, we're mutts. But I was excited to go to Scotland and I got to bring my family and I was gonna preach and teach and we were gonna to tour together. And it was one of the first international trips that we took as a family when the kids were really little. And I was so excited because I grew up poor. My dad was a union drywaller. I lived next to the airport and I remember the planes that fly over the house and rattle all the windows. And I always wondered, I wonder where they're going because I never could afford to get on a plane. So I'd get on my bike and I'd roll over to the library and I'd check out magazines and books and I tried to figure out the world and where everybody on these planes was flying to over my house. Well, when I got to be a grown man with my own five kids and I got to take them on a trip with me, I was super excited to go to Scotland to see John Knox's house and the Scots Confession where that was written and Mary Queen of Scots house and go to Edinburgh and all the great sites. So I'm, I'm buying books and showing the kids, hey, here's where we're going, we're gonna go here, we're gonna go here, we're gonna go here. And, and, and my youngest son, I could not get this kid excited to go. I was like, you're gonna go to Scotland. He's like, I don't wanna go. I was like, but you're gonna get on a plane. He's like, I don't, I don't wanna get on a plane. 
He's a little guy. You're going to go see John Knox's. I don't want to go to John Knox's house. You're going to go see castles, huge castles. I don't, I'm not going to no, I'm not going to no castle. Kid's freaking out. So I, I up the sales pitch. I'm like a timeshare condo guy, you know, like I got to sell this. I got to get this kid to sign up. No, it's going to be amazing and you're going to have high tea and you're going to ride in a, an old cab and, and you're going to get to go see the sights and you're going to get to do this. And, you're, and he's like, no, I don't want to go. I refuse to go. Don't make me go. And I thought, what the heck? What a weird kid I am. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, uh, you know, I'm going with you, right? He's like, you are? <laughs> well, let's go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You get it? It was a lot for the little guy. I need a passport. I need a credit card. I need to go to Scotland. I need to find a cab. I need to find John Knox. I'm four. <laughs> the more you talk, the less I want to do this. Oh, you're going with? Well, let's go. <laughs> I forgot to tell him I was going too. Right? <laughs> As soon as I told him I was gonna, he was like, well, that's awesome, let's go. Because if your dad's with you, it's gonna be fine. The Lord is at hand. Dad, I got cancer this year. Dad, I, I'm getting married this year. Dad, I have to stay married this year. Dad, we're getting divorced this year. Dad, we're having a kid this year. Dad, I gotta go to college this year. Dad, I gotta get my license this year. Dad, I, I gotta pay the bills this year. Dad, I gotta, I, I gotta grow this company this year. Dad, I gotta serve, Dad, I got a lot. Dad's like, how about if I go with you? Okay, thanks, Dad. You're gonna go with me? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go with you. Don't be anxious about anything. Talk to me about it. Let me know what you're thinking and what you want. And I'll go with you. The Lord is at hand. The Father heart of God really changes everything. The Father heart of God changes prayer. The key to learning how to pray is just knowing the Father heart of God. And if you know that God is your Father, you'll just talk to him and it won't be that hard. The key to anxiety is the father heart of God. If you know that God goes with you and he's for you, emotionally, it'll help you. Um, and you'll receive God's peace. And that's his final point. Chapter four, verse seven. And the peace of God. This is not peace of circumstance, that everything got better, but I got better. That everything worked out okay, but the father was with me. And the peace of God, because you know what anxiety doesn't produce is peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, meaning this is not natural, this is supernatural. This is a miracle. This is something that only God's children get as a gift. It surpasses understanding. Will guard your heart, your emotional life, the sail, and your mind, the rudder, in Christ Jesus. I'll close with Jesus as a case study. Let's be honest, how many of you coming in here, you would have thought that anxiety, stress, and worry was in and of itself a sin. How many of you would have thought that? Raise your hand, be honest. Here's my question, did Jesus ever sin? You're supposed to say no, okay. <laughs> Supposed to say no. <laughs> was Jesus ever anxious? When was he anxious? Garden of Gethsemane. Where God becomes a man and he is betrayed by a friend, a pretend friend. He is headed to the cross where he is going to atone, die, pay the penalty for your sin, for mine, for the sin of the whole world is our substitute. It's late at night before his arrest, his friends have failed him and they are asleep. They're in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. We've been there. 
And it says that Jesus is in great distress. How do we know that he is in great distress? He is sweating as if drops of blood. Medical doctors will say that only people under incredibly intense distress and duress will start to actually see their blood capillaries open and it's like blood just literally starts to seep uh, from the pores. I mean, that is intense anxiety because what he was going to face was the cross and the cross is excruciating and it's this intense physical, emotional, spiritual pain that's so significant that we've even invented a word to explain it. And excruciating, that word literally means from the cross. So Jesus is going to the cross and what is before him is excruciating. How does he feel about that? Does he feel a little anxious? He's up all night. He can't sleep. You been there? He's begging his friends to pray for him and they don't. He's all by himself, but he's not in isolation. What is he? He's in solitude. And he is meeting with the Father. He is anxious, but by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, he makes his request known to God. And what is his request? It is essentially, Father, if there is a way to forgive everyone's sin without my death, to let this cup of suffering pass from me, let it be so. That's his request. He let his request be known to God. And then he said, but not my will, but your will be done. Dad, here's what I'm feeling. Dad, here's what I'm asking. But whatever you want, that's what I want. And he prayerfully talks it through with the Father. And I want you to see that it's emotional and it's passionate, right? God is not a, a, a father with no heart, with no passion, with no concern, with no regard. This is an intense, emotional, prayerful conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And then Jesus receives a supernatural Holy Spirit peace that surpasses all understanding. He accepts his arrest. He accepts his false trial. He accepts his beating, his flogging, his scourging, his mocking, his bleeding, his weeping, his dying. And then from the cross, he says, Father, into my hands, into your hands rather, I commit my spirit. The father hasn't left him. The father hasn't left him. And the Lord was at hand. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to uh, share a little bit from Philippians 4 today uh, here, here at a place where many come struggling with anxiety. And Lord, maybe we have uh, heard what the counselors and the doctors tell us, and it's helpful because our body gives us clues. That's the way you made us. Maybe, Lord, we've fallen into ruts and patterns and habits that are our way of coping, but not really thriving. Lord, some of us had a very difficult last year. Some of us are looking over the precipice of a very difficult next year. Lord, I thank you that, uh, that you are a father, that you give us invitations to bring our anxiety to you, that you wanna hear from us what our desires are, that you consider those that if we love and honor you, you're prone to say yes. And even when you say no, you don't abandon us. You don't make us walk a path by ourselves. You go with us and before us, like a father taking the hand of a small child on a journey. And you walk with us and you lead us and you guide us every step of the way. Lord, I pray for my friends that we would all grow in the practice of Philippians 4. And that when we do, we would remember the example of Jesus. Um, 
Lord Jesus, you are a great God and Savior. You are perfect and without any sin. And in full humanity, you experienced anxiety. And you were stressed and distressed as we are. And you walked out the principles of Philippians 4 so that our sin could be forgiven, so that our relationship with the Father could be reconciled that we could receive the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit and a peace that surpasses understanding. So Lord, I just pray for this sacred moment for my friends and I pray that they would know your heart, Father, and that they would talk to you about the things that they're anxious about and that they would bring to you the requests that they have and that they would know that you are at hand. In Jesus' name, amen.